The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. I know lots of parents out there who wonder how to talk about what is happening today in that part of the world in Israel and in Gaza uh, with their children. And here to kind of help tease out some of those issues is Brendan Kelly, who's a professor of psychiatry at Trinity College Dublin and a consultant psychiatrist at Talley University Hospital. And Dr. Mary O'Kane, who's a lecturer in psychology and early childhood education. You're both very welcome, uh, folks. Um, Brendan, before we talk about how to deal with this, maybe we should talk about who we are talking about First of all, because, you know, children is everybody up from kind of one to 18, I guess. And um, it, it depends what age you're talking to. And I assume there's there's a certain age you just can avoid it. I have a kind of a seven and a nine year old at home. The seven year old, you don't really need to talk to her about it because she actually doesn't really care. And yeah. it's so abstract to her. It, it yeah. has no relationship on her life. The nine year old, he does care. He absolutely wants to know. So it's very, very hard to tell. Each seven-year-old is different. Each nine-year-old is different. So it is important to be age-appropriate and uh, somewhat person-specific. You can have such differences. The the big thing to note is that um, children are no less intelligent, I think, than adults, but they've less life experience, so things can seem different. So even a constant stream of images, like we might be seeing on the television or on the internet, it can feel, feel very, very close to a child. It can feel as if it's right there beside them, when in fact it might be distant. So we do need to take account of the child's age and also what they know. It's good we're discussing how to talk to children about this because it is good to talk to children about this, particularly when they come with misunderstandings, half-formed ideas or vague concerns that that can be addressed by the adults in their lives. And, and I guess then, right, so once you identify whether you need to talk to your child, and like I say, and like you say, it's different children at different ages below which you, you, you can kind of avoid it and, and you can make sure they avoid this. Again, the, the the conversation you have then will depend on on what information that child has access to. And like again, my nine year old, to give that example, I can really control to a large degree how much he knows about this. Now there'll be a certain amount of hearing in school and stuff like that, mm. but he doesn't have a smartphone, mm. so he's not accidentally going to start reading stories about decapitated babies, for example. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, we can control to a certain extent, but children will come with surprising pieces of information you didn't know that they had or they yeah. couldn't possibly have accessed and yet they did. So, I mean, the key is that we as adults remain very, very calm. We listen to what they know, how they've interpreted it, and we stay matter of fact and age appropriate. It's also probably important we don't rush to judgment on actors in a conflict and that we're very, very clear um, about the parameters of the conflict and we allow the child to to express the emotions that they're having, which might not make an enormous amount of sense to us. They might be exaggerated, they might be quite inappropriate, but it's so important that we as adults are able to listen, able to contain them, able to nod very much like the way you're doing now, and able <laughs> to show children that no matter what is happening in the world, we are here, we are solid, we will talk to them now and we will talk to them later. So Mary, where do you start? What is the kind of the jumping off point for the conversation? Is it maybe not involving the children at all and and kind of getting your own ducks in a row and trying to make sense of what is a confusing situation to anybody. Hi, Kieran. Well, I have to say, I feel exactly the same as Brendan. You know, we try to limit their exposure as much as we can, but it really depends on the age of the child. And I, I would also say, just be a little bit careful about assuming that they haven't heard. Because that example you gave about the babies, that's the sort of thing that on the schoolyard, if one child has heard, they come in full of bravado and start telling other children about them. We have this desire to protect them. And that's so 
natural. It's really, really natural. But what we want to make sure is that they haven't heard something really quite disturbing and don't tell us. So I would say really gently as a parent, bring up the conversation and just say, oh, I was wondering if you'd heard about this biting that people are talking about. And if they say, biting, what biting? Was that in school or whatever? You know they actually have no idea what you're talking about. But if they say, well, actually, there was something today. Just really, really gently open the conversation with them. and um, Be led by them. Try and be as honest as you can in, in as age-appropriate a way as you can. Okay, so you'd, you'd always be honest with them, would you? You wouldn't just lie about some things. I, you know, some, well, actually, uh, to be honest, what you just said about babies being decapitated, I mean, you're not going to introduce anything they do not need to know. If they ask you a question that you really don't have the answer for, it's okay to say, I actually don't have an answer for that, and I'm really not sure. Most children, if you are led by their questions, you don't give any other information other than the information they're looking for, because younger children, what they really want to know is they're safe. They're very egocentric. It's all about me. And they might have heard about Israel, and they might be thinking, oh, I've heard that before. That's near where Granny lives. I'm sure it is. And what they're focusing on is that they are safe and the people they love are safe. Very often, that's what they really need to know for the little ones in particular. That's, it's interesting, Brendan, because again, and I, I know I keep relating this to my own experience, but just, you know, I, I think it's kind of illustrative. Again, if I were to say it to my seven-year-old, it may as well be happening on Mars. The nine-year-old, it, it could be happening in the next county. You know what I mean? And that that's the fear or the concern is like, hold on, where is that? How close is that to where we are? And are we in danger? Yeah. And that's really the fear when children have one fact or an overheard sentence or something they have heard on the television. It is that they can get the wrong picture. It can feel closer. It can feel more threatening. Of course, the other thing that's really good to talk about are the people providing aid, the people providing assistance. And, you know, to make it very, very clear that there is goodness going on out there as well. And to make it clear, some people are trying to make peace and there's a lot of work happening to make this stop. And it's always important we do this and that we try and balance it out. Let's... Talk about children who are maybe slightly older then, who do have access maybe to phones and and access to a lot more information than we might be happy with them accessing. And and then we're into the realms of, of, you know, disinformation and misinformation and what to trust. And they'll have possibly more probing questions about you know, how all this started. You know, you can kind of maybe explain to a younger kid, you know, this started last weekend when they attacked. You know, you you might have to get all the way back into blaming the Brits if you're talking to the older kids. Well, I guess, you know, this is this is the moment then when all that good parenting and good use of information devices between times should kick in, teaching the teenagers to take a critical step back and bearing in mind they have a lot more information than their brains can probably reasonably cope with. They still have developing brains and um, particularly their frontal lobes are still, you know, getting pulled together biologically. And um, so they will have limited ability to cope with this information. But again, it's the adult's demeanour uh, that matters almost as much as the words the availability, the willingness to listen and maybe just to ask them some questions like, oh, is there another side to that, do you think? Uh, Mary, um, if your teenage kids are not asking you about this, would you go out of your way to bring it up? Again, assuming that, you know, the younger kids might might not ask because it might have kind of passed over their head. I doubt something as significant as this is passing over the head of any teenager. 
No, not those who are on social media, Karen. And yes, I would. And you will find with some teenagers, they can sort of compartmentalise. Okay, well, that doesn't impact me. And they're concerned about their own worlds. But yes, I would open the conversations with the teenagers. Be prepared as well for the emotion. They need to know they can let the emotion out, particularly if they've seen some traumatising images. But again, I think with the teenagers you really are going to have to go into the whole idea of the history of the conflict. A lot of them will. And what I always say is, say, let's sit and look at this together. Funny, with even um, older primary school children and with teenagers, there's a danger that they see this, they see war as being nearly goodies and baddies from when they were a kid. Mm. So they see it as very black and white. And remember, some of your children are teenagers. Could the child in their class from Israel, a child in their class from Palestine, Children are not responsible for this war, for this conflict. You know, the, the ch- they, children they, they are potentially in school with are absolutely not responsible, nor are the children in Israel or Palestine. So it's important to have these conversations with them. Very often, I think as well, even with teenagers and even with younger children, they feel the need to help. They feel the need to think, I'm doing something. And if you can say to them, look, is there something we could do? It could be lighting a candle. It could be making a donation. It could be if, if, you, um, if your children say prayers before they go to bed, you're remembering the children in these countries and their prayers. Feeling you can do something helps with hope and, and feelings of control, which can be useful too. I wonder, Brendan, how many parents, and this isn't to kind of pass judgment on anyone, but how many parents described what was happening in Ukraine in the context of a goodie and a baddie? Because there there, there was kind of, I guess there was the, not absolute uniformity, there was much more uniformity in terms of who was in the right and who was in the wrong there. And the kids then, if you've talked to them about that, might kind of ask you, well, sorry, Let's translate that now to Israel. Like, who's the goodie here? Who's the baddie? Who am I up for, as it were? Yeah, the goodie baddie conversation, it is always too simplistic. I mm. mean, sometimes there are goodies and baddies, I suppose. But in conversation, it's too simplistic. And it's really good to shift to values. And so the children get some lessons they might take away. So, for example, sort of the awfulness of war and the dreadfulness of conflict and, and hate and anger. And then maybe words like support or compassion or what can we do to help? And sometimes when we're all caught up in negative thoughts and despairing thoughts, as Mary says, an action is the best way to combat some of those negative thoughts, be it the prayer, be it donating something. But even talking about the values at play and making it clear to children that whatever hate and anger might appear to promise in the short term in these situations, Mm. things like compassion and solidarity will deliver a million times more in the end. And um, I mean, the the older the kid gets as well, I I guess, the more the focus will be on, on the politics of the situation won't it and, and, and all of that nuance yeah absolutely and I mean and politics as a solution needs to be talked with about as much as politics as the problem we do tend to talk about politics when it's dysfunctional but it's very useful to talk about political arrangements for example such as the EU that have had the entirely non-dramatic effect of avoiding conflict for a very long time and we always talk about politics when they break down but maybe this is an opportunity to point to examples of it working oh, well listen really good advice uh, I think across the board so thank you both very much. Uh, Brendan Kelly is a professor of psychiatry at Trinity College Dublin and a consultant psychiatrist at Talley University Hospital and Dr Mary O'Kane, a lecturer in psychology and early childhood education. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four.
on News Talk.